Well, good morning, La Jolla Community Church, and welcome to worship. And to all you moms, happy Mother's Day. Uh, never ever, I've learned, underestimate the powerful influence of a mom. Uh, actually, this is probably really the second Mother's Day. I think the real Mother's Day was several weeks ago uh, with the NFL draft and all these uh, Incredible young athletes uh, were celebrating Mother's Day, basically. Mom, thank you. Mom, thank you. Mom, thank you. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Mom. But here we are, Mother's Day, and we want to thank all of you moms. And uh, take a moment to be thankful for all moms. Uh, every one of us uh, can point to somebody who's been our actual mom or um, a surrogate mom, uh, a person who's functioned like a mom, and, and what a gift that is. So we never underestimate the powerful influence of, of a mom. Uh, there were 11 people hanging from a rope, dangling from a helicopter. It was a very uh, dicey situation. And that uh, was 10 men and one mom. And they agreed that somebody had to let go or else the, the rope would break and, and they would all perish. And so, uh, of course, nobody wanted to let go. And finally, the mom said, you know, I'm so used to being uh, a selfless giver and supporter of other people, my, my husband, my kids. You know, I'm going to let go. I'm going to give my life for the group. And it was such an overwhelming and inspiring speech. All the men started applauding. Never, ever underestimate the powerful influence of a mom. Well, uh, we're going to look at a list in a few moments with a lot of names on it. And what we're going to be doing is reflecting on the fact that uh, we are part of a community, a community that pulls people together, a community that nurtures people. Uh, this, this movement uh, called the church, uh, the mothership, uh, that, that community that God calls each one of us into. And basically the church is a movement of God's Holy Spirit teaching us to experience community in a whole new way and teaching us to love and serve other people in a whole new way. Now, maybe that's not what the church often looks like, or perhaps not the uh, reputation of the church, but that's what the church is supposed to be. So I think on this Mother's Day, it's, it's, it's apropos that we reflect on this community, this community that's meant to be a community built around Christ himself, a functional community of love and service. And when I think of loving and serving, of course, I, I can't help but think of moms. I think of my own mom. I think of the uh, the, the moms I know who are just uh, loving, caring, uh, serving people. So we see this in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 to 27. And Paul refers to 33 people by name and alludes to many others. Uh, it's intriguing to think about. I, w I, I wish I could click on each name and, and see the whole story. Uh, the context, the setting for this, is that the Apostle Paul has done three loops, three tours from between Jerusalem and, and the uh, out, outermost parts of the Roman Empire in places like Ephesus and Thessalonica, Antioch up in Syria, Corinth and Greece. So between Syria and, and Turkey and Greece, what we know as those modern-day countries, Paul's done three circuits of, of missional tours, establishing churches, revisiting those churches, uh, building up leaders in those churches. And now he's on his way uh, back to Jerusalem. He's in Corinth at the very bottom of the country of Greece. Uh, and, and we think of Athens as the, as the center of, of Greek life and culture. Yes, it is, but Corinth was the, the economic uh, powerhouse. Uh, and so here he is on his way to Jerusalem, taking a gift collected from all those churches on his uh, third and final missional tour. 
And this is a, a, a love offering uh, to help people who are dealing with some very difficult circumstances in Jerusalem, famine being one of them. And so he pauses to write a letter uh, to these believers in Rome. And he says, you know, uh, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, but Lord willing, my hope is to go to Spain, uh, where nobody, is, as far as I know, has taken the gospel. And on the way, I want to stop in Rome and see all of you. But in the meantime, he's sending this letter, because he doesn't know quite how long it will take. It'll perhaps take months. Of course, as it turns out, Paul uh, was arrested along the way, and when he finally did get to Rome, it was under very different circumstances than he had intended. That's another story. And so here at the beginning of Romans, what we know is chapter 16, but the end of the letter to the Romans, Paul writes this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant leader of the church in Kenkri. Kenkri. Uh, it's a port city adjacent to Corinth. And if you know that Corinth is on, 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 on one side of an isthmus, so from the main landmass of Greece, there's a little uh, connector of land, and that lower part, Achaia, that area is called, uh, Corinth is the major city there. Well, so they have two ports. They have a port that will take them uh, further east, back, say, to Turkey and Ephesus, or you can get on the other side, the western side of the isthmus, can cry, and you can go uh, to Italy, and you can save some time if you're coming down the, the length of the country. You can offload your stuff, cross the isthmus, and save a lot of time. So, uh, Phoebe, obviously a woman's name, is a servant leader in, in, in the, for, the, for the extended uh, church in Corinth, and she's specifically from Kenkri. I find this to be fascinating. Phoebe is being entrusted with this incredibly important letter. Phoebe has the capacity, the resources, uh, the, the courage and the confidence uh, to take this journey. It says a lot about Phoebe. It tells us that Phoebe was uh, a woman of, of probably significant means and significant life experience, certainly significant uh, confidence, and incredible authority among the people uh, in that extended Corinthian uh, Ken Cry a church community. She was somebody they trusted deeply, and we're entrusting to her this letter uh, going on a very, what <laughs> could be a very dicey journey, uh, both just the logistics of getting there, but also uh, also going uh, to Rome as an unaccompanied woman. So she must have been an amazing lady. He says, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. What an incredible accolade to give to her, that she is somebody that Paul holds in high regard, that, that the church there holds her in such high regard that they're entrusting to her this responsibility. Uh, I've heard people say sometimes, gee, Paul had, such a, had, had sort of a, 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 a negative view on women. He did not have a negative view on women. If you cherry pick some verses, you can say, well, he, he didn't allow women to speak or to do certain things. The larger context is that and you'll see in this, in this list of names, six women, six significant leadership women are mentioned in this. And so Paul was not uh, anti-woman. Uh, he was very much about promoting all people to use their gifts for, for the Lord. He goes on to say, So greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Priscilla and Aquila, uh, it's a married couple. Interesting that Priscilla's name uh, precedes that of Aquila. There's some intriguing things behind that. Uh, was she a freeborn uh, woman? Uh, who married a Jewish man, and so she has uh, this larger identity uh, because of her, her status, we don't know. We just know that every time uh, this couple is mentioned, 
uh, she precedes Aquila. So it's, she's mentioned first and then Aquila. But they were a dynamite and a dynamo couple. And so Paul calls them my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They're in Rome. Uh, but Paul had first met them when they lived in Rome. And it, it, this letter was written probably 57 AD uh, in, in um, 52 AD, uh, five years uh, uh, so previously. Uh, the emperor Claudius had kicked all the, all the uh, Jews out of Rome. Why? Why? Why would he do that? Well, it turns out he did that because there was this movement uh, that he didn't quite understand, and he chalked it up to a word, crestus. Uh, but crestus is, is Greek for good. Uh, it, it clearly he means Christus. Because of this Christus controversy, controversy there were so many uh, Jews uh, and Jewish followers of Jesus in Rome, that they were having all these debates, and it was creating some disruption. And it, it had come to Claudius's attention, and he said, this is it, they're all gone. Uh, they already were not held in high regard, all Jews, so let's just get rid of them. So they're booted out of Rome and in, in, in 52 AD, and that's how then uh, Priscilla and Aquila make their way to uh, Corinth. Well, how did... How did these Jews get to Rome, and, and especially these ones who followed Jesus. We, if you remember that in a few weeks we'll be celebrating Pentecost. In a couple weeks. Actually, I think next weekend. Um, when on, on, on that Pentecost moment when the Holy Spirit was given to the church, and Peter gets up and, and, and explains what's going on to everybody and, and, and talks about the Holy Spirit that's being given to all these people. There were people there from Rome, Jews who had come from Rome, uh, for the for uh, Pentecost, for this big feast, and having come to know Christ then, being baptized in Christ, 3,000 people uh, believed and were baptized. When they went back to Rome, apparently they took the gospel with them. So these, these Jews, again, have some means and freedom to be able to travel from Rome to Jerusalem and then go back, had some level of influence. And so the gospel comes to Rome. This is, this is you know, 50 days after Jesus' uh, resurrection, basically. And so since that time, the gospel has been growing. And it's become so contentious among some of the Jews in Rome that there's, a, there's constant arguments and disruptions. And so Claudius says, 52 AD, you're gone, you're out. That means all the Jews are gone. Priscilla and Aquila, a couple identifying as Jews, whether she was a Gentile married to a Jew or both of them Jewish, they go to Corinth and they end up meeting Paul in Corinth. When Paul goes to Ephesus to create a church, they go to Ephesus. Eventually, they go back to Rome when the all-clear sign is given. And then eventually, they go back to Ephesus. So they had this incredibly interesting itinerant ministry. They supported themselves as business people, but they were always the center of the church wherever they were. They always were a, a house where the people of God met. And so here's this incredibly wonderful couple, a, a man and a woman, who, having given themselves uh, completely to Christ, and all of their, their business endeavors and their whole life, even the, the adverse circumstances, having to leave their, their hometown, uh, are all used to the glory of God and to bless people. And so Paul goes on to say, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Read also the church that meets at their house, okay? The house church is back in Rome, uh, having been in Corinth and then Ephesus. An incredible uh, story within this list of names. 
He goes on to say, greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Asia is what we would know as, as Turkey. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Um, I'll come back to this phrase, very hard for you, very hard worker. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Andronicus and Junia, another married couple. And he, he, he refers to them both as apostles, another example of women in leadership. That she was held in high regard as a leader, and she, and she and her husband came to know Jesus before Paul did. And they've, they've suffered together. They both, they've been in prison together. And so they're outstanding among the apostles. They're, they were in Christ before I was. Greek Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Ampliatus uh, was a slave name, a very popular slave name. But somehow this man has proven himself uh, to be a, a, a confidant and a leader, a colleague uh, for Paul and for the people of God in Rome. By now, the church in Rome, having been started you know, following Pentecost, now in the, in the, uh, in the uh, uh, late 50s, is, pri- is primarily a Gentile church with a lot of Jewish believers, but now it's a lot of Gentile people. So here's Ampliatus, a slave whom I love in the Lord. In the earliest uh, catacombs in Rome, there is a special crypt, a very beautiful, uh, not very beautiful, but, a, but an impressive crypt that has on the, on, on the outside of it Ampliatus. So Ampliatus was apparently a person held in high regard. He says, greet Mary who worked very hard for you. Again, this, this phrase, who worked very hard for you, says something about her that I'll mention in a few moments. Uh, excuse me. Um, uh, uh, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Let me pause here for just a moment. Uh, Aristobulus. Aristobulus was the grandson of Herod. Herod the Great. He moves to Rome and lives as a private citizen, but he's really good friends with Claudius, the, the emperor. Within his household, there are people who have come to know Christ. And so Apelles and Herodian are part of this household of Aristobulus, who is now deceased, but his household now lives on because it was, it was, he was a wealthy person, and it was, it was then uh, uh, factored into uh, Claudius's. Um, kingdom, and now uh, there's a new emperor in town uh, named Nero. So Aristobulus is a well-established name with a well-established established household filled with, with family members and slaves. Uh, greet those in the household of Narcissus who were in the Lord. Another great story behind Narcissus I won't go into, but again, Narcissus was a very powerful um, confidant and uh, staff person. Uh, for Claudius became very, very wealthy because all of Claudius, the emperor's male, had to come through Narcissus. So within that household of Narcissus, there's a thriving Christian community. Narcissus um, met his demise when Claudius was, was killed and Nero uh, assumed power. But you see, there's this whole community identified with these leading uh, established uh, pockets of wealth and influence in the, in the Roman Empire. Now here's an interesting combo, uh, a twin women, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, uh, those women who work hard in the Lord. Uh, this is the third time we've seen this phrase, working hard in the Lord. Uh, it means a person who is the last to quit, 
a person who is just uh, with sheer dogged endurance is on it. Uh, the, the phrase here, works very hard, means this is a big worker. This is a person who makes a big wave, who does a lot of really good stuff, is relentless in their work. Is somebody everybody can count on. And, and it's just like they go for it. It, it, it sounds like a really just amazingly uh, a committed and assertive person who in their wake brings all kinds of people who want to be part of that. Well, what's funny is that Tryphena and Tryphosa, these, these, these names of what appear to be twin women, are dainty and delicate. So Tryphena, dainty, Tryphosa, delicate, are animal workers. They are just amazing workers. And so you see, Paul is surrounded by all these people who are role models for him and for everybody uh, who knows them. Powerful, powerful influences uh, for the Lord based on their, their confession of faith, but also their character uh, that's, that has been formed in Christ and the way they demonstrate servant love in a very powerful, uh, persuasive way. Again, greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Uh, he goes on to say, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who's been a mother to me too. And you go, okay, uh, Rufus and his mom. Wait, shout out to Rufus and his mom. Why? <laughs> Why? Uh, what's the significance here? It's just two names in a list. If you turn in the gospel, you don't need to do this, but if you turn in the gospel of Mark to chapter 15, 21, uh, this describes Jesus uh, being forced to carry his cross on the way to Golgotha. He's been horribly mistreated by the soldiers, beaten to a pulp. A pilot has condemned him to death. Uh, he's been tortured some more, and now he, he, is, he is walking through the street, and he's so beaten down and beaten up that he can't carry the cross. And in, Rome, in uh, uh, Mark 15, 21, you see that a man named Simon from Cyrene, far away in North Africa, has been commanded to pick up the cross for Jesus. It says he had just come into town. So here's this man who no doubt had arranged his life and come up with all the money necessary to make this pilgrimage from way away in North Africa to Jerusalem so he could celebrate Passover. And as soon as he gets into town, probably really with his family in tow, He's pressed into service to pick up a cross, so he feels polluted and compromised. And you can imagine, he's just so frustrated. Why? My timing is horrible. How did this happen? Think about that. The worst thing that he could have imagined happening somehow captures his imagination, captures his heart. And I imagine when he was forced to pick up that cross, he wanted to get rid of it as soon as he could. But somehow, he becomes part of this incredible story of God's redemption of the world in Christ. Why would I say that? Because Mark, who's writing his gospel to the Romans, long after this letter has been written, says, Simon, oh, you know him. His sons are Rufus and Alexander. So Mark, writing his gospel for the Roman church, mentions Simon from Cyrene, the church now, of course, uh, primarily Gentiles with, with uh, Jews as well would not necessarily know who Simon is. Nobody has put together a gospel that they've been able to read in, in whole to get the whole story. They've heard the gospel presented. But he says, okay, Simon from Cyrene, oh, and you know Rufus. So it turns out that Rufus and his mother have been in, like family to Paul. It's a very beautiful story here. Uh, talk about a Mother's Day story. Uh, that this unnamed mom uh, was like a, a mother to Paul. Powerful, powerful um, example of this, of this Christ-centered community. 
Well, he mentions a lot of other names. Uh, Greet, Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. I wish I had time to give you more information about these names. Um, one, this one, Nereus, here's the end of the 50s. Um, by about 90 A.D., uh, early 90s A.D., uh, two of the most ho- high-profile people in Rome, elite, wealthy, well-connected uh, a couple. Uh, she is related as the niece to uh, the emperor, and her grandfather was an emperor. Uh, this man, Flavius Clemens, uh, is a consul. He's, he's a very powerful, well-positioned guy in Rome. These two people, uh, whose... Um, and the, uh, their estate was managed by a man named Nereus. These are the first two people of, of a prominent Roman status and stature who were, uh, who were executed uh, for confessing their faith in Christ. Uh, interesting connection between Nereus and what, what happens. Um, he says, uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Now, Paul has been making these circuits, right? And meanwhile, as he's been kept abreast of what's going on in Rome, he's been sharing with all these churches wherever he's gone. Hey, by the way, there's some believers in Rome. At the heart of the empire, uh, there's some people who honor Jesus as Lord. You think uh, Caesar is the big deal? No, Jesus is the big deal. So he, he gives them that feedback. Well, then he takes this interlude. He says, I urge you, brothers, it could be brothers and sisters at Delphoi, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in our way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. What's he talking about? Uh, The church of Rome is doing so well. It's so well connected. So well coordinated in terms of their connection with the larger church and their, their vital ministry within Rome. He knows that the church is very attractive to people who uh, respond to the gospel authentically. It's also a place where people want to work out their own power. Uh, This has been the bane of the church from the get-go. People wanting to leverage the power and influence of the church uh, for their own purposes. And and, and Paul describes people who are really uh, articulate and eloquent in the way they talk about theology. By smooth talk and flattery. They deceive the minds of naive people. What's going on here? Uh, it's, a, it's a term, crystallogos. It means people who say all the right things, but their motive uh, contradicts the right things they're saying because their presence ultimately creates division, not unity. They end up creating conflict that disrupts the peace and unity of the church. They, all, they do it all in the name of advancing the gospel. But I, I can tell you story after story after story of, of, of people uh, have somehow getting themselves in a situation where they end up disru- dis- disrupting the peace and unity of the church. Now, the church isn't meant to be a, complac- a place of complacency. We all get along to go along. We all say uh, all the right things at the right time, and nobody disrupts the peace of the church. No, I'm talking about the church in its, in its healthiest is like any family. You can ask any question in a healthy family. You can raise any issue in a healthy family. If you're in a healthy relationship, you can talk about the things that concern you. But everything is put on the table. There's nothing about talking about people, behind people, misinterpreting what people have said, attributing to them things they haven't said. One of the ways Satan confounds and compromises the church, he does this in marriages, he does this in families. 
Satan can't make us do anything, by the way. But the influence of Satan is that he, he, he wants us to get in touch with our own sense of power. It's all about me. What's in it for me? I think I could do better. But instead of bringing this to the body and saying, hey, I'm concerned about some things, let's talk about them. Uh, these are people that work around the edges. And everything they say is meant to give people a sense that, wow, they're really committed. They really have some good insights here. But it's never brought to the light of day. And so this is the thing that Paul is concerned about for the church in Rome, and we see it in all of his letters. Uh, there's some element of this going on. It happens in every church. The idea is not to tamp down and push down on any, any other points of view, but rather to say the church is healthiest when it says let's bring it all uh, forward and, and, and expose it to the light of day. Let's talk through. Does this look like our mission? Is this aligning us with our mission? Is this advancing our mission? Very powerful, uh, wise word he gives to this church that's going to have a lot of influence. Obviously, the, the, the Roman church became massively influential. Well, it says, everyone here has heard about your obedience, so I'm full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And, and he, he gives this final list of people who are with him. He's been talking to the people there at Rome. Hey, give my greetings through Phoebe to all these people. I gave you a little bit of insight to some of their stories. And now he says, the people with me send their greetings. Timothy, we know about Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you. As do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater. Now, who are these people? Well, Lucius is one of the leaders in the church in Antioch. Perhaps one of the men of the, the, the Cyrene men like Simon and Rufus and others who went uh, to, to Antioch and established a church there. Which Antioch was a very powerful city uh, in, in, in that uh, Turkish-Syrian uh, uh, border area. Uh, who is Jason? Jason is the guy that stood up for Paul in Thessalonica when Paul was about to be beaten to death by a crowd. Jason jumped in and, and, and faced them down and, and took the meeting. Uh, who was Sosipater? Well, he was the guy from the church in Berea who took the collection of all the money that was supposed to go to Jerusalem and made sure it got there safely uh, in a time of famine. So this is very, a wonderful list. Uh, I love this one. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter down, greet you in the Lord. Who is Tertius? He's what's called an amanuensis. He's a secretary. He's a guy saying, I'll write the letter for you, Paul. Paul dictated his letters. And so here we get a little glimpse um, behind the curtain, if you will, that, that this guy who's taken this down dutifully the whole letter of the Rome is a long letter. And now at the very end he goes, hey, by the way, uh, I'm here. I'm writing it down. Uh, a little shout out from Tertius. He says, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Gaius is one of the wealthiest guys um, uh, in that early church area in Corinth. And here he practiced hospitality in a way that supported uh, Paul's ministry. Erastus, who's the city's director of public works and a brother Cordus, send you their greetings. What a great way to be referred to um, as a brother. So you see these people who are, are, their whole life and their professional life, their personal life is all integrated around being God's people together. So Paul is writing to people like that. He's writing um, from a community of people like that. That's the neatest thing about being part of the body of Christ. Wherever you go, you bump into people and you think, oh my gosh, these are just like the people at home. So we have, uh, oh, finally he says, now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, 
so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Isn't that fantastic? Think about that. That all nations might believe and obey him. This letter represents that. This is a United Nations sort of letter. All the names and the places represented here. And Paul's saying, this is my hope. That this is how it would go forward. Uh, there's an old story about Jesus returning, having completed his mission on earth. And the angel say to him, it must have been so hard. And he said, yes, it was. And they said, do you think the people really understood and appreciated what you did for them? He says, probably not. Not that many of them understand it, have even heard it yet. And so they ask him, what do you plan to do? And he said, well, I've entrusted it to them. I've entrusted the message to them. The angels say, well, you know, human beings being what they are, they have a backup plan. And Jesus says in this story, no, I'm counting on them. This is what Paul says in this benediction uh, at the end of uh, chapter 16. Now, we have our own version of this list at La Jolla Community Church. Every church does. Uh, people like you who proclaim and teach and demonstrate the kingdom of God. Professionally, personally, in all your relationships, you embody the gospel. Thank you for being you. Your names could easily be added uh, to a, a new version of this letter. Uh, the the uh, May 2020 version of Paul's letter could have your name uh, on it, and the names of people from the body of Christ all over San Diego and across the country and around the world. Uh, who are those people in your life? Who are the people uh, that if you were going to write a letter talking about all the people who shaped you, who would be in your letter? Parents, family members, friends, coaches, teachers, who would be in that letter? And who would you imagine? This is a bit trickier, but whose list are you probably on? If you stop to really think about it, would, you, would your name appear on some list of people saying, oh gosh, if, if she hadn't been in my life, uh, I, I wouldn't know Christ. You know, if he hadn't been there for me, I would have walked away from Christ. I would have been so um, distraught over my sin, I would have given up but for his influence. The way she mentored me and discipled me changed everything. You see the power of this? And so our goal is to live in love as Jesus does. And my prayer for our church is that we would continue to be what we read about in Romans 16. I hope that's your prayer for our church. I hope you take time as you pray for our church. I hope you do pray for our church and our leaders, uh, pastors, board, uh, staff, uh, people in your life group. But I hope you also pray for the churches in San Diego. Uh, we just can't be about ourselves. We need to be internally connected, but we need to be externally connected and focused as well. So as you pray for people who don't know Christ, I pray that you pray uh, with me for the churches in San Diego or churches in other places where you know people who are laboring in the Lord. Because friendship with Jesus connects us to the mission of God. This friendship that, that should never be inhibited by the boundaries of your home or the boundaries of a church this unbounded fellowship and friendship we have with Christ connects us to God's purposes and God's mission in the world. That's the amazing, mind-boggling thing that I love about being part of the body of Christ. See, God's love creates powerful bonds and unifies people in community. If they're paying attention to him, if they let go of their own personal power and need for control, and simply open themselves to the Lord and to people in his name, powerful and beautiful things happen. The great commandment becomes a reality. The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. 
Uh, grammatically, that is a future indicative, but, it, but functionally it serves as an imperative. Do this. But that future indicative simply means that this is who you will be. This is, this is how you will live in the present time, right? This, is, this will indicate where your life will go if you commit to it. Powerful, powerful, powerful. And so it's natural for us to want love, but giving love requires us being intentional. Are you being intentional with your love? Paul's letter listed people who were being intentional in their love. Intentional. They were working hard. To bear witness to the love of Christ and to demonstrate it in the lives of people in their life. A young couple was heartbroken after two stillborn births. Uh, they tried to have children. Uh, they were desperately, they were so ready to have kids. They wanted to love kids. And so in 1979, they, they had a miscarriage. And then in 1980, they had a miscarriage. And they were crushed. They were crushed. And in their grief, uh, they published a book. Uh, they published a book called Love You Forever by Robert Munch. But really, it came out of their, their shared experience of, 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 of expressing their grief over these stillborn children. Love you forever. Uh, if you run into Oprah next time you're in Montecito, ask her her favorite children's book, and she'll say, love you forever. I think it sold 50 million copies. Probably every parent has read it, has it. I was going to read it, but it'd make everybody in the room cry. It'd make all of you cry. But if you have the book, give it a read uh, on Mother's Day. So, but they just didn't leave it there as an expression of grief over their, over their loss of these two children. They adopted three children. <laughs> this is what's so awesome. We all want love, but we all are created by God to give it, and we must be intentional about that. So they adopted three children and poured their love into those kids. Who are you pouring your love into? Who has poured love into you? And who, in turn, are you pouring love into? It must be intentional. If you don't sign up for it, if you don't volunteer for it, if you don't get creative and just commit to loving some people, it will not happen. Life is too busy. Life is too distracting. Right now, in this sequestered lockdown mode, do not use that as an excuse not to love the people you're obviously with if you're sharing a household with other people. But don't use that as an excuse not to keep reaching out to people to intentionally love. Why? Because opportunities to love are all around us. Opportunities to love. Can you imagine the logistics of what Paul was trying to do? The logistics were daunting, but he found opportunities to love wherever he went. This was the, the nature of Priscilla and Aquila and so many others that he mentioned in the letter. So by embracing love, we embrace the present and we influence the future. By embracing that love, Paul shaped our present what to him was a future hope is our present hope. That's because Paul was intentional in loving. And you and I can have that same intentionality. So what does it take to experience loving relationships? I just mentioned quickly, functional relationships with God, self, and others. Functional, healthy. How do you get those? Well, practical skills, learning how to listen. Not just the words, but the tone, to listen for feelings and emotion. Understanding boundaries. I'm not, I'm not you, you're not me. I have to respect your boundaries. But how can I love you respectfully? Honoring your boundaries. Uh, practical skills like resolving conflict. Being able to talk things through, not just talking about people until you're through. And it requires a missional focus, a sense of purpose in partnership with others. Love starts with eye to eye. Man, I love you. I just love being with you. I love everything about you. 
But very quickly, love has to become shoulder to shoulder. Together, we're going to love the world. We're going to love these kids. We're going to love uh, this family, the extended family. We're going to love this community. We're going to love people that Jesus brings into our life. In fact, we're going to go look for people to love in Jesus' name. So what are the next steps? Be available and present to others. Be committed to your own growth. And be dependable in using your resources to bless others. What has God put in your hand? Use it to bless people in his name. So Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for me, my, my prayer for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for moms who are such a shining example of this. Lord, there are no perfect moms. We know that. There are no perfect people. But we love the way that moms embrace the incredible opportunity and responsibility to, to love and to serve. And we pray, Lord, that we could emulate that as men, as women, as your people. We pray all this in Jesus' most holy name, thanking you for Paul and all those people that he mentioned. Amen. Well, now we're going to have uh, some announcements uh, and then uh, a worship song from uh, Deneen. I want to leave you with a benediction. It's this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all giving us his love, his joy, his peace, his power, his mercy and forgiveness, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And a happy, happy Mother's Day.
thoughts of living colors, flashes of lightning, rolls of thunder. Your name, Jesus, your name. 